welcome everyone today. Uh, I would like to introduce my guest, which is Dr. Byron Blackburn, who is at Auburn University uh, Veterinary School. He's a parasitologist there and has been for nearly four decades. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And I'm really excited to have you here um, because there's a topic that I'm sort of interested in and yet not even a little bit of an expert in. And where this comes from is what I do on clinics um, on emergency we're seeing cases all the time, and one of the most common things that we see coming through our emergency doors is animals with vomiting and or diarrhea. And it's super duper common and, you know, runs the gamut of severity. Some of them are very sick, and, and a lot of them are not that sick. And, you know, I understand as a pet owner, having a dog with diarrhea would be miserable, like absolutely terrible, and, and I want something, please fix it right now. And we, we have this response um, as clinicians that we want to do that. We want to give them something. And I've been fighting for years now the, the knee-jerk reaction to want to treat diarrhea with an antibiotic. And I'm, I'm making some headway on that. I'm actually getting um, a good response where I have people prescribing uh, fewer and fewer antibiotics. However, the flip side of that is now they go, well, I guess I'll give a dewormer then. Um, sometimes we've uh, done a fecal exam. Uh, oftentimes it's negative and we give a dewormer anyway. Uh, and sometimes we don't even bother with the fecal exam um, and we just go ahead and prescribe some, usually fenbendazole is the one I see prescribed most often. So my main concern for not having people prescribe antibiotics is because I'm worried about antibiotic resistance. And so now <laughs> I feel like I'm promoting, by, by talking people out of giving antibiotics, they're choosing dewormers and now I'm worried I'm promoting resistance to deworming medication, anthelminthics. So that's what I wanted you um, to come in and, you know, talk about today is, is, you know, how real of a concern am I? Am I overreacting to that? Is that really a concern? How much of a concern? And, and maybe give me some background there. No, you're exactly right. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So uh, I ask my students, my senior students, I say, so uh, what would you rather know? Uh, would you rather know what you're treating or that whatever you're treating got better. And most of the time, question. they'll tell you, I just want it to get better. Yeah. So it's the mindset we have, right? Yeah. Right? No. Uh, I... Why spend a lot of money on diagnosis or spend a lot of effort yep. when we have this uh, sort of bag of tricks that we call anthelmintics, parasiticides, that we yep. can just administer, go from one to the other, see what works. And that's what's got, kind of gotten us into trouble, right? Yep. Everybody's... Uh, uh, intrigued by or surprised by the fact that parasites have developed resistance. We've seen it on several fronts, heartworm, hookworm, even yep. tapeworm. Uh, but I wonder why. Uh, you know, parasites are infectious disease agents, you know. They do what infectious disease agents do. They respond to their environment, you yep. know. And that's the host. That's whatever the host has taken, you know. And uh, adapt, adjust. And that's what we've gotten ourselves into. Uh so yeah, we do have problems, and much of it is our doing. Uh, uh, some of it is, probably most of it, is just that parasites do what they do, and that's yeah. adapt and respond. Uh, so veterinarians want to know, uh, uh, how do we know that that's the problem? Uh, what do we do uh, when we don't know? Yep. Uh, and uh, what should our cue be to either switch drugs or or contact an expert or uh, employ a different strategy? Uh, and the answer, of course, is the two most important words in veterinary parasitology, 
That's it depends. Oh boy. <laughs> I was I was really excited. I was like, ooh, what is this gonna be? Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds like the two most important words in, in all of our specialties. It does. <laughs> it, it depends on the situation, depends on the parasite. Yeah. You know, it depends on the host, depends on the environment, depends yep. on the drug, you know? Yeah. So you do have to ask yourself a few questions before you decide what you're going to do. Right. So resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, is there a particular area that you're interested in, particular parasite? You know? um, I mean, I'm small animal, so if you start talking about, you know, sheep and cow and horse, that's cool, but I'm not going to be able to contribute much. So for me, uh, you know, that that's kind of my world is, you know, roundworms, hookworms, whipworms, things like that. That's what I tend to see most, uh, most commonly, but... Um, you know, so the specifics, yes, I guess in, for me, from a teaching standpoint, when I'm there and I'm trying to counsel somebody, maybe we don't need to do that. Um, it's, it's really from a general um, perspective. So any of those, you know, if we're seeing it in resistance to the, you know, the cattle parasites, then I think those are lessons that I can apply. Sure. Uh, well, why don't we talk about small animals? Perfect. Since it's probably more relevant to most of what we're teaching now, Fair. what we're doing. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's interesting. Uh, resistance sort of emerges uh, uh, for two reasons. Uh, either you're trying to prevent a disease mm -hmm. like heartworm and uh, you're unsuccessful in doing so. Mm -hmm. So you're administering preventive, which is not a preventive at all. It's right. a treatment. Right. You know. uh, and you all of a sudden have a dog with heartworm that uh, uh, in the past at least uh, the medicines, drugs that you've been used, that you've used are working. Uh, and then you can have uh, drugs that are used for the most part therapeutically, you know, right. like hookworm, roundworm, mm -hmm. hookworm, tapeworm, uh, are all eliminated because you either know they're there, you've confirmed they're there, you suspect they're there yep. because of diarrhea, as mm -hmm. you mentioned. Yep. You know? uh, so uh, these sorts of situations emerge for different reasons under different situations. Right. Uh, I think hookworm is probably one of our better examples uh, of uh, how indiscriminate use, long-term indiscriminate use of products in a closed population mm -hmm. of animals infected with a closed population of parasites leads to selection over time for resistant hookworms. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the sort of phrase that I use is that... Uh, when you treat something, you kill what you can, and you leave what you can't. Right. And as you leave what you can't, that percentage of the can't population gets bigger and bigger. Yep. Right? Yep. And so your problems get bigger <laughs> and bigger. So the more we try, the worse it gets. Right. In many situations. Now, sometimes, depending on the severity of resistance, uh, you can increase the dosage sure. of a drug, and that will help. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you can switch to a different drug. Uh, so let's go back to our example of hookworms. Okay. So we started to see, and parasitologists around the country are aware of this now, we started to see uh, hookworm emerging in populations of greyhounds first. Okay. Uh, and for reasons that I just mentioned, you would suspect that, that would be a population for which a parasite might grow, develop resistance, because same hosts are treated with the same drug, same parasite, repeatedly. Yeah. So you kill what you can, leave what you can't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but for the year, for years, for the longest time, we thought that that problem was restricted to certain populations. You know, uh, animals that uh, uh, were 
not in the mainstream and we're isolated and uh, sort of restricted in our approaches to uh, parasite control. Right. Well, eventually that population of parasites spills out yep. slowly but steadily into the general population. So now we're seeing uh, other breeds of dogs uh, held in other situations, mm -hmm. uh, domestic environments, kennel environments, uh, that present with the same or similar problems that we encountered with, uh, with uh, hookworm and greyhounds. Now, of course, the, the parasite in question is Ancelastoma canine. Mm -hmm. And the drug which precipitated most of its pyrantel pamoid, okay. which most of us use, it's our primary dewormer. Yep. You know, buy it over the counter. Mm -hmm. uh, veterinarians <laughs> use it indiscriminately. Yep. You know? So it makes perfect sense that mm -hmm. it would emerge. Yeah. But then as parasites do, uh, they adapt to our strategies to switch drugs and to use combinations of drugs. Mm -hmm. So now what we've see, started to see is, uh, is multi-drug resistant mm -hmm. biotypes or isolates of yeah. hookworm. And so a number of us have experienced in the past, and several of us in laboratories, Dr. Ray Kaplan mm -hmm. uh, and his group at University of Georgia, uh, have developed models, laboratory models, for mm -hmm. looking at susceptibility of hookworms to different drugs. Uh, and has found that there are isolates of hookworm that he has recovered from source animals that are resistant to multiple classes of drugs, one called macrocyclic lactones, the ectins we call them, ivermectin, yep. you know, uh, and of course finbendazole, the benzimidazoles, yep. right? Uh, and forever the primidines, which is pyrantel, yep. and that sort of group of compounds. Uh, so... So we now know that there are parasites out there for which we can't eliminate ah. with anything <laughs> that we have. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we don't are we don't have a, a huge arsenal like with antibiotics. There's you know a lot of different ones out there, and you know we're still managing to burn through those. Um, but it, it seems uh, I I don't know in some ways even more dire that we have such a small arsenal to choose from. And, you know, if we already have these parasites that are showing resistance to virtually everything we have, uh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> well, there are differences sometimes in, in uh, parasiticides in a chemical category. For example, the macrocyclic lactones, the ectins, you have right. ivermectin and moxidectin and selamectin and doramectin and even milomycinoxime, which mm -hmm. is a macrocyclic that doesn't have an ectin on the end of it. So we do see differences sure. in the behavior of parasites in the presence of those drugs at different dosages. Okay, For so just example, because it's resistant to one doesn't mean it's going to be resistant to all of them. Well, it doesn't mean it's going to be resistant to the same extent gotcha. to okay. all of them. So we've sort of discovered that with moxidectin, and oh. that's true in not only the small animal arena but the large animal arena and the sort of geonematode arena too because of its unique features uh, and... Uh, uh, the pharmacology that accompanies it in the host. Okay. Uh, we tend to have a little better luck with moxidectin against resistant parasites. Does it penetrates better to tissues? Yeah, or, okay. and we can use it low, use, use it at lower doses. And uh, I mean, the ph pharmacologists sort of here they would they would tell us all about those things that we wish we would have <laughs> listened better <laughs> right. in pharmacology. Right. right? <laughs> there were uh, some graphs and absorption, things. Absorption, yeah. <laughs> distribution, yeah. metabolism, yeah. excretion. You know, binding and right. disassociation, all that stuff. Uh, so. Yeah, pharmacology is a very important science. Yeah. I would advise students to listen first <laughs> yeah, and second exactly. year. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely uh, remember more than I did. <laughs> so what we've done is we've started to do two things. We've started to focus on what still works a little, mm -hmm. 
And we've started to administer it more frequently. Okay. And then we've started to administer more frequently the drugs that work in combination with other drugs. See, that's where my mind is sort of blown, right? Because if we were talking about antibiotics and you said the way to reduce resistance is to just take more antibiotics at a lower dose more frequently, I would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. So that's a little bit scary. And I, so I think about that as well. Like we have in our monthly preventives with heartworm, almost all of our heartworm medications have some type of deworming medication with them, you know, I guess, an additional deworming sure. medication with yeah. them. And, and so my question then becomes, if compliance isn't what we want it to be, does, is that contributing to some of the resistance we're seeing? I, you know, I, I don't know. Are we in a rock and a hard place in that situation? Yeah, we, we certainly heard that argument with heartworm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't refute it. Can't tell you that it doesn't play a role. Right. Uh, can't confirm that it's the cause. Sure. I will tell you that what I tell students is the hardest thing for you to do is not to treat. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that as well. Because the other thing I struggle with is, um, and, and I'm, I don't do primary care, but I know one of the standard things an animal comes in for its annual evaluation is it, you know, often gets a fecal flotation. And the animal who's eating, drinking, acting normally, stools are normal, everything's fine, and you come back with some parasite ova. Can I just not do anything? I would like to. I would like to leave that alone, um, and I'm going to get a lot of dirty looks if I if I suggest that from the client. Like, well, one, why did you run the fecal exam, right? Which is a fair question at that point. Um, but two, but like you found a parasite, you can't just leave that there. And and I don't know what the right answer is, but I I do want to pose that I can tell question. You what the right is. Okay, good. Please. The right answer is it depends. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> well, uh, for example, the parasitologists among us would tell you that uh, uh, leaving certain parasites in certain environments okay. is probably not a good idea. Okay. Like, we recommend strongly eliminating toxic canis roundup okay. uh, because of its zoonotic implications. Fair and enough. Importance. I guess that's You true. could argue really that, that with hookworm, <laughs> although the more traditional or the more common hookworm species are really the less commonly zoonotic right. species, uh, uh, those that are transmitted to humans, of course. Uh, so it depends on the parasite. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm on the same page you are. Yeah. Uh, single pet household, passing a few stages uh, of, 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 of minor zoonotic significance, just leave it alone. Yeah. We okay. face this all the time with coccidia, cystoisosper, for example. Yep. You know? Yeah. So you've got a 12-year-old dog shedding one or two oasis of coccidia. Who cares? You cool. Know? But, but veterinarians don't like to do nothing. We were, it's the hardest no. thing to do is yeah. to do nothing. Don't Let me give you an example outside <laughs> of this hookworm arena. Uh, if, you respond, if you ask a veterinarian uh, in an area where Lyme disease does not occur, based on epidemiology, mm -hmm. you know, and we could argue that. Sure. Right. And you see a blue spot, yep. you know, on a diagnostic test. Doxycycline treat, it is. Are, are you going to treat that blue spot? Me yeah. specifically? No. But but I'm unique, and I know that. Um, I, my bias is definitely I'm going to need more evidence than that. But I say to the students, you tell me that today yep. as seniors. <laughs> when I see you two years oh, from now, 100%. you're going to be treating every one of them. And the reason yep. they're going to be treating every one of them is because that client may go down the road to somebody mm -hmm. else. That client may be lost yep. to you for their care. Yep. And that could become a more serious problem yep. later on. And the hardest thing yep. to not do is... Yep. No, treat. it's absolutely true. So what I talk to the students about in those situations where um, you, know, you find this incidental finding is to say you don't have to do nothing. 
Um, maybe it's follow-up. Maybe it's say, oh, maybe it's a confirmatory test or maybe, hey, normally I wouldn't have you come back for another year, but um, let's come back in, in a month and check another fecal exam and let's make sure there's no changes. Or that's what I would, I, I counsel the students to do is not ignore it. Because um, ignoring it, I, I agree, that doesn't feel right and it probably isn't appropriate. But immediately going to the pharmacy um, to treat something that is doesn't have any symptoms at this point. And again, we maybe have enough information to say it, it, this is an okay option to, to wait and see um, is or something to, that I would counsel. Or, or, or to do other things too. Uh, uh, sort of step up your hygiene. Right. You know, are you picking up uh, fecal droppings? Uh, are you uh, maybe uh, confining pets a little more that... Uh, have, have a habit of open-ranging, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. So epidemiology is a simple science, and the epidemiologists out there would disagree <laughs> with me entirely. But uh, parasites and infectious agents move from infected host to non-infected host. Yeah. Uh, the key is getting from one to the other, right? Some go through vectors, mm -hmm. right? Some go to environment to host. Yeah. So put a barrier somewhere yeah. between the two, yeah. and you've stopped parasitism. Now, you can't do that entirely, and we sure. understand that. But I think non-chemical means of parasite control, adjuncts to prudent therapy, uh, and combining that with less frequent therapy and follow-up is two very, very good, I think, adjuncts to sort of delaying resistance. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Limiting it. No, I like that. Non-pharmacologic options are always something I, I'm thinking about. The other scenario then, so I'm the clinician and the dog comes in, it's had diarrhea for the last two days. It's otherwise fine, eating, drinking, acting normally, bouncing around, feeling great, but the owner is like, fix this. <laughs> this is, this is yeah, unacceptable, right? White carpets, right? Yeah, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah this is now an outdoor dog. So like I get their stress and frustration and the urgency. Um, but I'm not going to prescribe an antibiotic. Um, so let's say, for argument's sake, I'm, I want to prescribe, a, 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 you know, fenbendazole. Mm -hmm. And so I get, I get a sample of stool. Maybe it's not a greatest sample because he's having diarrhea, but I do a fecal fluid. I don't get anything. And, but I really still want to, I want to give these people something and I don't want to do an antibiotic. And I say, well, but the, the sensitivity of a single fecal exam on one day is what? You're trying to convince yourself I, yeah, to treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And the hardest again, thing to do <laughs> and so, is not to treat. But how much do you think, um, you know, when those people convince themselves, well, at least I'm not giving an antibiotic. I'll just give a dewormer. I feel like I've done something. The client feels better. They've done something. The diarrhea gets better the next day probably not because of the fenbendazole. How much is that prescription, do you think, contributing to the resistance? Is it specifically contributing to resistance, or is it just contributing to the behaviors um, that contribute to resistance, if that makes sense? Well, let me I'm give saying. you an example of, uh, of what my colleagues in crop protection mm -hmm. do. Now, you know, we have to raise food for millions of people, yes. and we have to control crop pests to do that. Yep. So resistance is going to develop very quickly, mm -hmm. right, unless you do something. So they use the measuring cup. Now, the measuring cup is simply how much do you continue to put into that cup until you get a full cup, which is resistance, okay. right? Mm -hmm. So what you do is you do as much as you can not to add to that cup. Yep. You know? Some of it may be environmental. Mm -hmm. Some of it may be uh, treating less frequently. Yep. Some of it may be not treating at all. Yeah. So using that metaphor or analogy or whatever you want to call it, I would say do everything you can not to not fill to that contribute. cup up. Now, uh, if you're the only one, 
that's doing that? Uh, are you making a difference? Well, uh, I could argue that, yeah, but maybe someone will use you as an example. Right. Uh, but I think until we uh, convince those who feel like that they have to treat every case of diarrhea empirically yeah. and that they have to move these things through and getting better is what we're after, mm-hmm. not not finding out what is getting better, yeah. then parasites are going to continue to develop resistance. So the answer to your question is yes. Uh, the timeline is going to be different because right. bacteria and viruses replicate much sooner. Uh, parasites are, are vectored through intermediate hosts many times. Uh, their life cycles involve prepatent periods that are much longer. Right. So any time that you add time, element of time, mm-hmm. and uh, more on and off the bus steps in the life cycle, uh, the more likely you are to delay right. that ultimate development of recognizable resistance. Yeah. Now, that's an important point there. Uh, is resistance out there? It has to reach a certain level of presence or prevalence before we can detect it. Right. In other words, in your practice population, you're really only going to start noticing it, you know, when it reaches a certain critical level mm-hmm. and your attention to uh, whatever those results are is tuned in to what that critical level is. Let me give you an example. The first thing that I heard when we uh, uh, decided to investigate heartworm resistance came from the central United States, the Mississippi River Valley out there, which is an area where you have a lot of heartworm Mm -hmm. and you have a lot of noncompliance, right? And you have a lot of mosquitoes. Yes. And uh, so all of the pieces of the puzzle are in place, right? But the first thing that I started hearing from veterinarians was veterinarians who test, Mm -hmm. veterinarians who test and look at the results of their test, (laughs) started saying, I'm seeing increasing numbers of heartworm-positive dogs, and nothing has changed from my perspective. Yep. Now, those are subtle changes. Mm-hmm. So they're going from maybe 10 a year to 30 a year. Yeah. And if you're not looking at your test results, you won't notice that. Yeah. So uh, your result has to get to a critical level, and you right. have to be watching it closely enough to determine. Uh, so is resistance out there to every parasite? Well, I don't know if you call it resistance or tolerance, you know. Right. We can't kill everything. Sure. You know, our dosages sort of, our parasites respond in a bell-shaped curve sort yeah. of fashion. You know, some of them are killed right, at low right, doses, right. most at target dosage. Some require a higher dose, you mm-hmm. know. Just the way it is. That's why we have the greater than 90% efficacy rule for intestinal parasites. Yeah. You know, probably should have it for heartworm. But yeah. Uh, so... Uh, Anyway, we strayed from your question. What was your original I don't point? remember. I, I think we've, we've been just talking about whether or not, you know, each time I prescribe uh, what turns out to be unnecessary, I might never know it's unnecessary, but, you know, how much am I really contributing yeah, you know, I to think the overall issue? I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say it's irresponsible because right. that's, that's probably not a very kind term uh, <laughs> yeah. because veterinarians in practice are, are in a little bit different situation Absolutely. than those of us in the laboratory are. Sure. Uh, I think... Uh, I think they don't have the benefit of of researching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they want an instant result. Yeah. They want that dog well, that client out the door, and they don't want to hear from them again. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I understand that. Yeah. But back to your original question, try to avoid yeah. filling the cup. Yeah. Do like anything that. you can 
to keep from adding to the cup. Future veterinarians will thank you, right? Because <laughs> that's what I think too, 20, 30 years from now when we're down to, we're like, uh, we're seeing so much more resistance. That's what I envision. Um, well, how, but, many, how, many, how many veterinarians or how many parasitologists or how many pet owners think that science will solve the problem? Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. 20 years from now, there'll be new drugs. Yeah. You know? well, of course. Mm, unless there won't. <laughs> so that's my worry. Exactly. That's my worry. My my residents, my interns, yeah, the students kind of get used to me harping on these types of things. And that's, uh, you know, those are the things, these are the things I worry about is the decisions that we make today is what are the, the lasting effects. And that's that's what I want, um, you know, to kind of impart on students and, and onto our clients as well, because some of that's really comes we, down to just client education. We call it, um, we call it stewardship. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to be good stewards. You yeah. have to you have to manage your tools uh, in a reasonable, prudent, and responsible way. Uh, now, I know people that are listening out there, at least some are probably saying, yeah, but it's a little different story when you're in practice and you face these situations day in and day out. All I'm saying is do what you can. Yeah. I realize that situations are different, clients are different, pets are different, uh, uh, but I think some attention paid to... Yeah the reason we got to where we are mm -hmm. and how we can avoid uh, uh, getting there again with a new drug or making it worse for the drugs that we have, the parasiticides that we have. Uh, so back to your original point. Yeah, uh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And if you want a tip on how to communicate with owners, here's here's what I do when um, when I suspect they're going to want a prescription to fix a problem and I don't want to give it, uh, is I come in and I say, good news, you do not have to give your pet a medication twice a day for the next three days or, you know, so I, I, I spin it um, and, I, and then I spend a little bit of time talking about why and if this doesn't work, what we're going to do next. And that tends to work for me because most people aren't really excited about shoving pills down pets' throats and things like that. So, so that's my tip for communicating with clients is tell them, hey, good news. We're, we're not going to prescribe a medication for you to give for the next week or whatever it happens to be. But, um, well, listen, thank you so very much for coming. It has been a lot of fun talking about this. It's something very exciting for me to, to, to kind of hear the other side um, uh, and some answers to some of my worries. Um, I really appreciate you coming and, and spending some time chatting. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Thanks.